the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. There's a way to make money from crypto without actually believing in crypto. Bitcoin pricing differences offshore and in South Africa create an arbitrage opportunity. This episode is brought to you by Future Forex, specialists in helping South Africans take advantage of that arbitrage and introduce alpha trading profits into their portfolios. Visit futureforex.co.za and listen to episode 21 of Magic Markets, where we interviewed the founders to find out more. As ever, do your own research and come to your own conclusion. Welcome to episode 48 of Magic Markets, and we're really excited tonight because we have a familiar face uh, back on the show. Well, you can't see him because this is a podcast, but I can see him on my screen, and that is Harry from Future Forex. And uh, Mo is a very familiar face all the way from Canada as ever. Mo, thank you for co-hosting Magic Markets with me, but the star of the show today is in fact Harry from Future Forex. How's it, Harry? It's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, it's so great to be back. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Mo, you pointed out an interesting little factoid about our timing of recordings with Harry versus where Bitcoin's trading, didn't you? Yeah, I think it's it's why it's also perfect that now's the time that uh, that Harry is on the show with us, is because I think the last time I stand corrected, I think the last time we spoke to to Harry and the team at Future Forex was when Bitcoin was approaching its then all time highs. Uh, it subsequently corrected to almost half of that, rebounded, and as we're talking now, looks as though it's likely to to surmount those previous all time highs. So hopefully we don't use Harry as our contraindicator in terms of just where the price goes. But luckily, and we'll get into the detail later on in the show, Harry and the guys at Future forex actually a little price agnostic in terms of where bitcoin goes directionally at any specific point in time but i just think again for listeners it's so topical that we're chatting about about this now crypto's been a really really hot space not only is bitcoin at like almost another all-time high but we've also just as we're recording this we've seen the launch of a bitcoin etf it's a futures backed etf in the u.s a pro shares etf and that's just i mean the u.s has been slow we've had those in in canada for some time but it's just also for me uh, symbolic of how crypto and bitcoin is increasingly becoming a lot more mainstream and a lot more acceptable and that's why i think this particular discussion has some relevance so harry really keen to hear you know what's been happening there but i'm going to throw over to ghost and, and see if he wants to kick off proceedings yeah harry let me start by asking you something that's been on my mind and has nothing to do with crypto arbitrage my twitter timeline is full of something called philosophical foxes which are very colorful foxes that seem to be making people far richer than my equities portfolio is managing which is slightly frustrating this whole nfts thing i just have to get this out the way i mean this isn't what you guys do but can we just spend two minutes trying to understand is this thing is it really just hype? I mean, is this something that's coming and kind of going to go away? Is this just people who have too much money after stimulus and crypto rallies and they're now just bored in America and have nothing else to do? Uh, what are your thoughts on this, uh, <laughs> on this crazy world of NFTs? Yeah, so guys, the first thing we need to understand is exactly what an NFT is. And 
Effectively, at its core, all an NFT is, is it's a unique token to prove ownership of a physical or digital item. Um, and it's stored in a digital wallet. Now, what I want to hone in on, because what most people are talking about, is the digital element of this. So, for example, if someone uh, creates a digital painting um, and charges millions of dollars for it, but it can be exactly copied because it's digital, why are people willing to pay so much for the original when, uh, when their copies around that go for a fraction of the value and are exactly the same thing? In fact, it can be copied infinitely many times. It's, it's a simple copy-paste. Um, and I think what this talks to is how humans do have a sentimental value attached to something being the original. And let's look at paintings, for example, so physical paintings. Even though people can print, uh, can sell prints of the painting, which are 99% similar, those would also go for only a fraction of the value. And what, what NFT uh, owners are effectively saying is how different is this to that? Is, is there really a difference? And if not, why is it so absurd that it costs so much more for the original, for someone to say, take proof uh, that they have the original? But something else I want to just address on the NFT front is that I do sense it to be somewhat similar to uh, the hype that, that emerged in the Dogecoin. Now, what happened in Dogecoin was there were plenty of people who, who found it to have uh, underlying value. And a small sect, or actually probably a large sect of the people, were actually just opt opportunistic people who realized that they can sell it for a higher price than what they bought it for because other people will see value in this thing. Now, I think a lot of NFT traders are quite similar in that they find that if other people see value in this, even though they know it may not have much underlying value in their view, they may be adding to the hype in order to sell it off at a profit. That, Harry, is the greater fool strategy. Perfectly explained, right? Is that there's a bigger fool than me who wants to buy this thing from me. However, it's technically true for anything that doesn't produce cash flows, right? Art, digital or otherwise, trading cards. I mean, you know, I get to use my classic car from time to time. But to be honest, is it really that different? I think what is weird for me is that someone can just copy it. It is quite strange. But um, perhaps I should be minting a collection of finance ghosts in various different colors and different color tires and different jackets because if I've learned anything from those foxes, it's that it seems to be uh, very easy money. But uh, on the topic of easy money, uh, we're going to also be talking about uh, arbitrage, which is what you guys do. And we've done two shows with you um, just a few months back now. And it was fantastic to unpack you know, what you do in detail. And for our listeners who haven't listened to those shows, we're not going to go through that level of detail tonight. And those who are interested should go and find those shows. You know, and we'll include it in the, in the show notes, or, or, you know, the links to go and listen to those. But it is worth spending just a couple of minutes, I think, just recapping what arbitrage is. So perhaps you can just explain that for anyone who isn't sure. Yeah, so, so Ghost, in short, what arbitrage is, is it's taking advantage of a price inefficiency that exists in the crypto market. So the price of cryptocurrencies abroad is slightly cheaper than in South Africa. The range is between sort of 2 to 5% cheaper. Um, and what that means is by buying crypto abroad, sending it to South Africa and selling it in South Africa, we can make a very low risk, high yielding return by doing this multiple times because it's a cyclical process. Oh, I mean, simple, the short, short and sweet. I mean, Harry, we did two shows previously explaining this and you've just explained it in, a, in about a minute. It's very, uh, it's very <laughs> impressive. Obviously, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, one of the other questions I had before I'll, I'll hand over to Mo was, you know, can you do it with the altcoins as well? I mean, do you see that there's 
any kind of arbitrage opportunities coming through on those coins because at the end of the day, what you need is a spread, right? And I would think that the less efficient the market, ironically, the better it is for arbitrage potentially. Absolutely. So the less efficient the market, the better it is. Now, ironically, the least efficient coin um, is Bitcoin at present. Bitcoin has the highest spread of all the alts. Now, that doesn't mean we're not tracking alts every day, looking at spreads to see if there's, number one, sufficient volume in South Africa, but number two, if the spread is sufficiently high to justify trading that alt. At present, we're mainly only trading two coins, one being Bitcoin, the other being USDC, which is a stable coin pegged to the dollar. And ironically, USDC has a very similar spread, uh, virtually identical spread to Bitcoin. It kind of tracks it exactly. Uh, so we use that uh, as a second uh, coin. Yeah, I think I want to come in here. So, so a couple of interesting things, Harry. I mean, first of all, you know, the fact that Bitcoin is effectively the, the least efficient coin. Uh, I mean, we, we touched on some of the points in terms of why the arbitrage exists. And I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll just mention those. But again, for listeners that missed the previous shows, go and check those out. But in countries with exchange controls, for example, like South Africa, those disconnects exist for a, a specific and structural reason. Uh, and again, you know, where those disconnects exist, there's an opportunity to make some money. So, so that, that's all well and good. But maybe touch on why is Bitcoin less efficient than some of the altcoins. And then on top of that, I mean, the way the overall crypto market is going is, is Bitcoin was really, I guess, the de facto standard that everything was built on. Is that really still the status quo? Where and how do you see other coins that I would say are still tier one coins like Ether, for example? And why don't you guys look at Ether uh, in, in your product mix at, at present? Mo, let me start off with your first question relating to why Bitcoin has the highest spread. And the answer is quite simply because it has the longest time from moving Bitcoin from one address to another, which means that there's an element of risk there. So the market is quite clever in that regard, in that the alts, because they can be moved more quickly, they actually have a lower spread because they priced in the lack of risk. Um, now, what's fantastic about our service, which is what I want to go through a little bit later, but I'll touch on it right now, is that we've actually hedged all those risks. So we've hedged the crypto risk, as well as the Forex risk for our clients to make sure that we have a perfectly hedged solution with zero market risks. Um, Mo, in terms of your second question regarding whether Bitcoin will remain the most dominant cryptocurrency, it's a tough one to answer because Bitcoin has probably one of the most outdated technologies of all the cryptocurrencies uh, in that it's still in the proof of work consensus algorithm and can process very few transactions, but it does have the first mover advantage in the crypto space and is therefore seen as one of the more reliable and trusted cryptocurrencies. With that being said, there has been a lot of pressure on Bitcoin and other proof of work cryptocurrencies regarding their energy consumption and the negative impact that this has on the environment. Ethereum has actually been challenging Bitcoin to unseat it as the dominant cryptocurrency, but this is mainly due to its smart contract functionality. But when we see Ethereum move over to a proof-of-stake consensus algorithm, as is expected within the next year, this could very well result in Ethereum becoming the dominant cryptocurrency. There are other various challenges to this position, like Cardano and Solana, but which of these, if any, will unseat Bitcoin as the dominant crypto? Only time will tell. And Harry, what's helpful is uh, you, know, you allow clients to earn it's almost an income. I mean, it's trading profits, but it's so regular that it can almost become an income uh, without having to actually take a long-term view 
on these cryptos, right? I mean, that's the beauty of arbitrage. You don't have to believe that Bitcoin has a 10-year future. In fact, you have to believe that Bitcoin has, what, a 10-second future. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you can actually, you can get stuck in on arbitrage. So maybe this is a good opportunity for you to just explain, you know, the product enhancements you've made in the past few months. A lot of our listeners did contact you after that first show and have been, you know, trading with you, etc. So it'll be good to understand, you know, where have you guys taken the product and, and, and what the excitement is. Yeah, Kirsch, last time we spoke to you, we mentioned that there's a large gap in in uh, the prices, uh, which we deem the spread. And that spread was enough to counteract any risks, any Forex risk, any crypto risk. But we later developed the product to actually remove those risks completely, both the Forex risk and the crypto risk. And the way we've done that is by partnering with multiple providers who can lock into a set price at the onset so that it's instantly executed, but only delivered at a later stage. So effectively, what we've got is we've got an instant execution arbitrage, which creates a consistency in returns and a predictability of returns to our clients. So I, I just want to jump in there. So if, if I understand this correctly, you know, you've identified these counterparties, you're able to get instant execution, you're locking it in, there's deferred delivery. So I fully get that. But with the aspect of deferred delivery, are you then not implicitly running a, a counterparty credit risk? I mean, that's effectively what this devolves to is that, I mean, there's always going to be risks in trading and in financial markets. It's always just good to understand those to unpack those. So if you take care of the FX risk and the timing risk, you've swapped those effectively for counterparty credit risk. Uh, and how how do you maybe manage that? I know you guys have done a lot of homework in terms of the types of counterparties that you guys use. So maybe talk us through that. Yeah, Mo, I think that's exactly right. Uh, it's not that we've increased our counterparty credit risk because previously there were risks in using exchanges. There's always going to be counterparty credit risk. That said, I'm not going to sit here and say this is a 100% risk-free investment in that there are, is a chance that there's a counterparty default. And what we've done to manage that risk is, number one, we never overexpose ourselves unnecessarily to any counterparty. So what we do is we ensure that we pay counterparties in a piecewise fashion so that we settle uh, partially and they then settle that part. Then we settle partially a little bit more, they'll settle the next part to ensure that we're never overexposed. And in fact, we're only as exposed as we are able to cover as a company so that should that counterparty go bust, we can still pay out our clients. And the reason we do this is because from the very start, we've been client-centric, we've cared more about our reputations than any income we make from this. And that has filtered through to the way we manage our counterparty risk, such that we effectively are taking as much of that part counterparty risk as we can and removing it from our clients. And being an actuary by trade, managing counterparty risks effectively is extremely important to me. And Harry, perhaps it's worth then just talking to the returns that people can get. Does this instant execution, does it kind of make the returns more steady? So per trade, does it make them higher, lower? You know, what is the impact? And I think as part of answering that, I think it's worth recapping what the opportunity is for clients. You know, what sort of money do they make on these ARBs? Yeah, so ironically, this new solution is actually uh, resulting higher expected returns than previously. And the reason for that is because of our economies of scale. Because we've grown so well, not, not least due to your show, um, we've been able to create uh, efficiencies in our pricing. And as a result, the third party costs are extremely low, um, well under percent for the entire uh, process, sending money out, sending it back, back to your bank account, that entire thing is well, well under a percent in third party costs. And what this means is that 
Returns are very much based on the market. Sometimes the market will hit spreads of 5% plus, other times it may be as low as 2%. But we can trade throughout this and ensure that we maximize your return over a year. And if I were to estimate over a year, you, you would probably make somewhere between 1% to 3% each, uh, each cycle. And because this is repeatable, you can keep doing this over and over again. And within a month, it's, it's not unheard of to have made 20% plus in a month. I know that sounds like absurd returns relative to traditional investments, but it's because of this repeated cyclical nature of the product. And there's essentially a cap on that because of our exchange control rules, right? So unfortunately, we can't make 20% every month because that would be lovely and we would all stop buying equities. But there's a practical, there's a practical cap on this, isn't there? That's 100% correct, Ghost. So there's 11 million rand that can be taken out the country each year, each calendar year, which means on 1 January, it resets for everyone. Everyone gets their 11 million back. So what happens is I can break that down further into the first million being your travel allowance. Effectively, you can send that out no problem, no approvals required, uh, very easy million rand to get through. And this means if you invest, let's say 200,000 rand, you do it five times, right? So it, it, it's cumulative. So it doesn't mean you have to have a million rand. It's just the cumulative figure needs to amount to a million rand. Thereafter, there's an additional 10 million rand, which you need to unlock access to by applying to the South African Revenue Service. And... This is something that we do for you. We've partnered with a tax practitioner and our internal tax team, along with the tax practitioner, have made sure that we make these applications for you free of charge as part of our service um, and ensure that we handle all the admin, all the expertise associated with this to make sure we can get through as much of your 11 million rand as possible in a calendar year and maximize your profits. I just want to jump in there. So, I mean, obviously... Now, this is something that has been running for, for some time. Uh, our listeners know that we don't necessarily endorse anything. But again, there's, there have been people that have been uh, invested with you over a period of time. Your track record speaks volumes uh, from a regulatory perspective. I mean, this has been something I've spoken about even on, on other platforms, is that the regulators have been behind the curve on regulating crypto, not just in South Africa, but globally. And I, I recall the last time around, you know, you guys were quite pro the regulation simply because... By formalizing the business, it, it effectively gives the legitimacy through to people who may still be skeptical. So maybe just a comment on that, Harry, and then also maybe a comment on where are regulations going in South Africa, specifically around exchange control, uh, mainly because I see that as one of your key uh, I guess, risks to the strategy unraveling is that if exchange control goes, uh, that may well narrow the spread and the arbitrage to a point where it may not be economically viable any, any longer. Yeah, Mo, so, so future Forex are well on top of our regulations. We've got a compliance officer, a, um, a head of compliance, and a full compliance team that are ensuring that we have everything in place for when the crypto asset service provider license comes out. And that is something which is imminent, which touches on the second part of your question on where are regulations going? So the main, there was a paper published by the Intergovernmental FinTech Working Group, which is a part of, which is effectively made up of multiple stakeholders, such as the FIC, FSCA, Treasury, SARS, Saab, and multiple others. And what they did in June this year is they released a, um, a position paper which essentially provides guidance for policymakers to help them in regulating crypto asset service providers in South Africa, right? And they talked about three main things, one of which we talked about last time, which was 
um, that they recommend crypto assets be declared as a financial product as part of the FASE Act. And what this would mean is that CASPs, so crypto asset service providers like ourselves, would need to become licensed intermediaries with the FSCA. This is something we've already put an application in for. So we currently have our FSP license pending. We've applied for it and, um, and they're busy processing it. So we're ahead of the curve in that regard. The next thing they mentioned is that CASPs need to be registered with the FIC as accountable institutions. And we've already done this as well. What this means is that CASPs need to have AML policies, anti-money laundering, and CFT, combating financing of terrorism. Uh, they need to have measures in place for those two accounts. And we've done both of these things. Um, some other things that they need to, that in order to be an accountable institution, some other things that are required is uh, you need to report transactions of over 25,000 Rand in cash. Um, and there are certain other things that uh, have been uh, that have been suggested going forward, but are not yet being implemented. The last thing that they spoke about, and this touches on your foreign exchange um, control regulations, is that they said that the Saab will oversee, needs to oversee cross-border flows of crypto. I mean, there's no su surprise there. The Saab wants to know about any cross-border um, exchange of funds, so they're just including cryptos in that. But what was surprising is the way that they intend to do this. So what they're recommending is amending exchange control regulations to include crypto assets as definition of capital and make a specific BOP category, so balance of payments form category, for purchasing cryptos abroad and most damagingly to enable crypto exchanges to purchase cryptos abroad to provide liquidity. Now that last point is really damaging for our business model, for the longevity of our business model, because if this happens, Mo, what it means is that the likes of Luno will be able to buy Bitcoin directly from offshore, bring it into the country, and efficient uh, and make the gap fully efficient, basically overnight. And that's the end of arbitrage as we know it. Now, I don't, the, the good news in this sense is that if it even does get passed at all, it's unlikely to come around for at very least a year. Um, so there's still some good time in this crypto market, but whether it lasts forever is, is anyone's guess at this point. And what's interesting, Harry, is that people doing this is actually bringing more profit into the fiscal net because people are making money out of thin air, literally, and then it's getting taxed on it at, I'm sure, the full tax rate. So interestingly enough, you know, the South African fiscus is certainly getting their share of this pie. But um, yeah, that is a look. I mean, if it doesn't work out for you, you're a good oak, and you know, I'm sure we can make space for you in magic markets if they if they close this gap. But hopefully not, <laughs> because uh, you know, I know a lot of people are really enjoying the experience with you. I mean, I've certainly had a lot of great feedback from our listeners who who actually you know after the last show went and, and opened accounts with you and, and all the rest. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a fascinating space. I'm I'm really grateful, Harry. Thanks for coming back back on the show. I think at a at a very critical time. Uh, this this crypto space continues to evolve, and and I'm certainly very keen to see how the future forex team evolves as as the market evolves. I think the evolution of your your product uh, is something where you've seen how the market has evolved. You identified what some of those key risks were early on, uh, and you figured out ways to mitigate against those. And I think that is again something that's that's quite good. It's key to keeping that conversation going. You know, we always say to our listeners that we want to scratch beneath the surface, and we have this very open, honest conversation with. 
them. So we appreciate you guys coming back on the show to just clarify how some things have changed. Uh, and again, we look forward to to this dialogue. Good luck out there. I mean, crypto is, you know, if you're, if you're just naked, long or short of crypto, it is a scary, scary place. And then that's not even going into NFTs as Ghost indicated. I mean, it's this evolving, exciting ecosystem. Uh, and it's one that I think is still rather esoteric for a lot of the listeners. And so if the more real we can make this in terms of how people think about money and think of, of crypto and NFTs and the entire digital space as an asset class, I think we're all the better off in terms of learning. So thanks from my side. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to keeping the conversation going. How do, you, uh, how do our listeners uh, find you? Uh, what is the correct way to come and speak to Future Forex? I know you're very open to questions and to speaking to people and having long conversations with them. So, yeah, what is the best way for people to contact you and find out more? Yeah, we invite as many questions as possible. If you've heard enough and want to go register immediately, you can head to futureforex.co.za and click the register button. Otherwise, you're more than welcome to head to futureforex.co.za and hit the get in touch button where or contact us button where one of our uh, representatives will be able to answer all your questions. Fantastic. And if any of our listeners are chess enthusiasts, Harry's always up for a game. I think he, what were you, Harry? You were UCT champion, huh? I mean, you certainly slaughtered one me year, over, yeah. Yeah, well, this one time. <laughs> you certainly slaughtered me over a couple of uh, very dorky Sunday chess breakfasts that Mrs. Ghost is you know, slightly judgmental of. But I think, we'll, I think we'll leave it there. Harry, thank you so much for joining the show. It's always great to have you. Mo, likewise, as ever, although you have no choice but to join. And uh, yeah, for those of our listeners who are interested in this crypto arbitrage space, may not be there forever. So if you are, then reach out to Future Forex. Yeah, just from my side, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to come talk to your very fantastic listeners and to talk to the two of you. There's a way to make money from crypto without actually believing in crypto. Bitcoin pricing differences offshore and in South Africa create an arbitrage opportunity. This episode is brought to you by Future Forex, specialists in helping South Africans take advantage of that arbitrage and introduce alpha trading profits into their portfolios. Visit futureforex.co.za and listen to episode 21 of Magic Markets, where we interviewed the founders to find out more. As ever, do your own research and come to your own conclusion. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.